Amen. And you may be seated. Uh, get your copy of the scriptures out and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 as we continue to work through this book. If you're visiting with us this morning, we began in January working through the book of Philippians. And we are just at about the midpoint, right at the end of chapter 2, starting to go to chapter 3, perhaps next week. So Philippians 2, 25 through 30 will be the text for this morning's message. And as you turn there, I want to put a scenario before you. I want you to imagine a church in which all the pastors and all the members only looked out for themselves. How ugly would that be? What if a church lived out the opposite of what Paul has instructed us to do so far in the book of Philippians? Starting in verse 27 of chapter 1. What if a church lived the opposite of this? Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. That'd be a horrible church. Would you even be able to be called a church if you lived in opposition to that verse? Or look at chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interest of others. What if a church lived the exact opposite of those verses? Look at 2.12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. What if a congregation of people did not work out their own salvation with such fear? And trembling or 214 do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God and it goes on what if we as a church lived the opposite of these exhortations that Paul gives us what if Rocky Point Baptist Church lived in opposition to these verses there would be disunity there would likely be mass turnover of staff and membership. People would be hurt and spiritually confused and maybe even vulnerable. Worst of all, Christ would be belittled and perhaps disregarded within the church. And obviously the world outside of the church looking in would not hold Christ in high regard. This is an urgent plea that Paul makes throughout the book of Philippians. That we are to live in a manner that is worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Paul, through the first two chapters of Philippians, has given us strong instruction, strong exhortation to live in such a way with one another. And we've got the verbal instruction, but now when you go to chapter uh, 2, starting in verse 19, really in verse 17... You get the instruction before that, but now in 17 through the end of the chapter, Paul gives us the examples. He doesn't just teach us. He also shows us. And he shows us with three visual examples of Christ-like living that are found in three men. Two of them we've already preached on. The first one is Paul himself, because in verse 17, he tells us something about his way of living on behalf of the Lord and in the stead of the Philippian church. If you back up to chapter 1, verse 12, he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What's happened to him? He's been imprisoned in Rome. 
and it was to advance the gospel because he shared the gospel with the whole praetorian guard and all of them have heard the gospel. All the brothers and sisters in Christ in Rome have been encouraged in their faith because they've watched him in his imprisonment share the gospel. And even some of Caesar's household now profess Jesus Christ as Lord. So we know that Paul's imprisonment was for the purpose of advancing the gospel. And he told us that in verse 12 of chapter 1. But look at 2.17. He says, even if I am poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with you all. So Paul shows us that being poured out as a drink offering, a sacrificial offering upon that of the Philippian church in their faith is something worthy to be rejoiced about. So there's one example. Paul is actually living out what he has exhorted us in the chapters before that text. Then last Sunday we looked at Timothy. Paul took us to a second example. We looked at Timothy. Timothy, the Scripture says, was a proven man who had pastoral ambitions for the Philippian church. Look in 2.20. For I have no one like him, Paul says, who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. Timothy's an example. Of how we are to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. He's an example of how we are to live our life in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's an example of doing nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. And he's an example of doing all things without grumbling or disputing. These are visual examples that Paul gives us after giving us the sound instruction. And we spent four weeks a month or so ago with four sermons on Jesus Christ as the ultimate visual example of how we are to live as a church. But now he gives us himself and he has given us Timothy. And this morning he gives us a third man, a man named Epaphroditus. And if we look now at chapter 2, verse 25, let's read the text and set the table for the next few moments of worship. Paul writes, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death, but God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Last week with Timothy, we asked three questions. They're the same three questions we ask this week. Why, what, and who? I got those in the wrong order. We'll go first with who, then we'll do the what, and then we'll do the why. Who is Epaphroditus? Who is this man? It would be good to know who he is, where he comes from, and how he is identified by Paul. 
We can only conclude from this passage that he is a lay member of the congregation of the church in Philippi. He is a general church member. We don't have any evidence that would lead us to believe that he is a pastor or an elder. He certainly is not an apostle like Paul was. We only hear of him once in the book of Philippians on two occasions. So there's nothing about him that Paul was inspired to tell us that would lead us to believe anything else about him. But he is a general member of the Philippian church. Paul was an apostle. Timothy was an elder, a shepherd, a pastor. He helped plant the church in Philippi. And later on, he's an elder in the church in Ephesus. But Epaphroditus was a general congregational member of the church. But this man played a vital role in the life of the church back home in Philippi and in the life of the church that was gathered in Rome. And that church was smaller. It was Paul and Timothy and perhaps just a few others from Philippi. But this Epaphroditus played a vital role in being the conduit that connected these two entities of the Philippian church that were separated by a large distance. You know, uh, Epaphroditus is never mentioned again outside of the book of Philippians. We have his name twice in this book. He's much like this woman that we saw back in uh, Mark chapter, uh, I think, 14. Remember when Jesus is anointed by the woman before he is betrayed? And the, the disciples protested that this fragrant, aromatic uh, oil was wasted on Jesus' feet. You know what Jesus said? He said, she has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And here's what he said. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. We don't even have her name in the book of Mark. And yet we talk about her even to this day. Well, we have Epaphroditus's name. We have it twice, only in the book of Philippians. But we're spending a morning today talking about what Epaphroditus did for Jesus Christ and his church in Philippi. It does not take much to impact the kingdom of God. And we're thankful for the testimony of men like Epaphroditus. And so though he's little mentioned in the Bible, he's a huge example for us to imitate. Uh, Let me show you some things about him. Look in chapter 2, starting in verse 25. We see that he related to Paul in three unique ways, and he related to the Philippians in two specific ways. So we've got five character traits, five relational aspects to Epaphroditus that we need to look at. First of all, these three ways that he related to Paul. Paul says he was my fellow brother, he was my fellow worker, and he was my fellow soldier. He's Paul's brother. They are brothers only in Jesus Christ. This is a term, a Christian term, for how we as fellow believers relate to one another. And that relationship is bonded in Jesus Christ. I want you to know that it is very likely that Epaphroditus and Paul were radically different from one another. We don't know anything about Epaphroditus' upbringing and his past, but we know a ton about the Apostle Paul. All the way to the point that we know that Paul was an Israeli terrorist. 
who killed Christians, who professed in the name of Jesus Christ at one point. But that resurrected Christ met him on the road to Damascus and saved him from his sins. And now Paul can call a man like Epaphroditus a brother because they have a common bond in believing in the resurrected Jesus Christ. Christ can bring the most extreme opposite people together in the most tight and unified bond. There's nothing else on earth like this. It's only found in Jesus Christ, in belief in Him. So they are related because of their Christian faith, and this was the tightest of bonds that they could have. And it was intense. Second, he's Paul's fellow worker, Paul says. He labored side by side with Paul in the gospel work. They weren't making tents together. They were doing gospel work together. I want you to know, and you know this is is reality, working together to a common end can be extremely bonding, especially between men. And these two guys worked side by side in the gospel, which was the center of their brotherhood with one another. So these guys are tight as brothers, they're tight as workers, because it's all centered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then third, we see that he's Paul's fellow soldier. He fought side by side with Paul in advancing the gospel. He endured persecutions just like Paul did, perhaps there in Rome itself. And so he's a fellow soldier to Paul. And if you think you're tight in Christ and you think you're tight in working together for Christ, I want you to know the intensity of the relationship when you fight together in Christ against a world that despises him, that will draw two men together tighter than you can ever imagine. It's a crucible, and it's heat and fire, and that tempers two men's and their relationships together. You know, we all want these types of relationships in life. We want brothers and sisters in Christ. We want fellow workers in Christ. We don't want to work alone. And we certainly want fellow soldiers in Christ, don't we? As we endure persecution and trials and tribulations in this world for our faith in Christ, we don't want to go it alone. And the Lord blessed Paul with, yes, Timothy last week, and this week, Epaphroditus. Paul loves this man. And the church in Philippi loves this man as well. I want you to imagine life, Paul's life, your life, without an Epaphroditus. It's lonely. Difficult. Discouraging. Well, let's look at how he related to the Philippian church back home. Two ways there. Paul says he was their messenger... And their minister to his need. So he's wrapped up in it a little bit. He's the Philippians messenger to Paul. He was, the word there is, he was an apostle to Paul. Now apostle simply means sent out one or messenger. He's not an apostle like Paul was. There's only 14 of those men. And there's never been another apostle. But he was an apostle in that he performed the function of apostles. He delivered a message on behalf of someone to someone else. Paul is an apostle of Jesus Christ. Epaphroditus is an apostle of the church of Philippi. And he has a message to the apostle Paul. He was sent by the Philippian congregation with a purpose to convey a message. A message of love and hope and strength 
and encouragement. That's how he related back home to the church in Philippi. Secondly, he was the Philippians' minister to Paul. So he's not only a messenger. He doesn't just have something to tell Paul. He has something to do to Paul. He's all in. Word and deed. He came to be, Paul says, a minister. You need to understand that in the arrest that Paul was experiencing in Rome, it's likely that the Roman state did not provide for prisoners food, clothing, and everything else. I think they provided chains, and they chained him to a a Roman centurion, and I think they had a rotation of four to six in a 24-hour day. And that's how the whole Roman praetorian guard heard the gospel, by the way, through the rotation. And so prisoners needed someone to come care for their most basic needs, like food and like money to buy food. And so Epaphroditus was sent by the Philippian church. We know from uh, later on in chapter 4 that he was sent with money, and it's thought that this money was used to buy clothing and certainly food and maybe even if we know Paul, some parchments and styluses so that he could write. And so Epaphroditus was a messenger to Paul and a minister to Paul. More about that ministry in a moment. So these are five titles that are really serious in their responsibility that Epaphroditus was called to perform and to do in the ministry of the life of the Philippian church and Paul, their church planner. In short, I think it would be right to say that Epaphroditus was living out what Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. Here's what Paul said. God gave the apostles, or messengers. God gave the prophets, ones who speak the word of God. God gave the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. And here it is. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. Epaphroditus was equipped. He was a saint, a follower of Jesus Christ. He was equipped to do the work of the ministry. And the Philippian church sent him to Paul in Rome to do the work of the ministry. And the purpose of that ministry was to build up the body of Christ. Even if it's just a couple of guys in Rome or a large body of people back in Philippi, the work of the ministry has the ultimate purpose of building up the body, the church of Jesus Christ. This is what Epaphroditus was all about. So that's all I can give you. That's all I can read in here and and see what we could draw from the Scriptures about the who is this man. Let's go second to what was Epaphroditus' purpose. We've already seen some of it. His purpose was to build up the body of Christ, but he specifically had two purposes that looked in two different directions. First of all, he had a purpose in serving the Philippians toward Paul. He served from the Philippians toward Paul. Verse 25 again, he was their messenger and minister to Paul's needs. But look in verse 30. In verse 30, he was to complete what was lacking in their service to Paul. Huh. So he had a purpose. Yes, to be a messenger. Yes, to be a minister. But he had a very specific purpose, and that was to complete something that was lacking in the Philippian church's ministry to Paul. What could that possibly be? Well, I think we need to be very basic here. It doesn't need to get tricky. It's very simple. 
what was lacking in their church's service to Paul? Physical presence. Physical presence. They could have written plenty of letters and sent money with plenty of people to drop it off and head back home, but they sent this messenger. They sent this man to minister, which means he's going to linger. He is going to be the physical presence of the church in Philippi all the way over in Rome with their dear old beloved Paul. Epaphroditus was sent to physically deliver their message and physically perform their ministry to him. I want you to look over in chapter 4, verse 18. Paul says this, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. You hear the ministry? You hear him serving as a minister in that verse? He's brought gifts. It's a fragrant offering. It's a sacrificial offering. And Paul says in verse 18, it is pleasing to the Lord, not to me. Pleasing to the Lord. So Epaphroditus is a minister to the Lord and to Paul by being the messenger, the apostle from the church of Philippi. It'd be good for us to consider how does this apply to us? That's all neat. Philippian church, Paul in Rome, I get it. But how does that apply to Rocky Point Baptist Church, 2017? Well, there are those to whom we need to send out messengers and ministers. We have people in the life of our church that need us to come to them with a message and with a ministry. There's a lot of candidates. But I'll give you one because this one candidate is front and foremost on our minds. How about Jacob and Carol Lee reaching Africa's unreached? Uganda, Africa. Now don't worry, they're not in prison. And we pray that the Lord would keep them from such. But they are a long ways away They are tethered to us as a congregation. We fund them and pray for them and support them and receive them and will again here in the month of June. So they are of us. They're of other churches as well. We don't corner the market on the Reaching Africa's Unreached ministry, but we are family with them in Christ. We are brothers and sisters with them. So they're not in prison, but they need brothers and sisters. They're not in prison, but they need fellow workers to come. They're not in prison, but they need to be ministered to in Uganda. They're going to get ministered to here in Stephenville in a a few weeks, month. But they need to be ministered to, and there needs to be messengers going to Uganda to offer to them sacrificial offerings, fragrant offerings, gifts that are pleasing to the Lord. Do we have that within us? Do we feel compelled to be an Epaphroditus to Jacob and Carol Lee in Uganda? That's the application this morning. 
We need to continue to send them support. We need to continue to pray for them. But there comes a time in the life of a church and their relationship with missionaries that they have to go so that whoever does go from us, get this, can complete what is lacking in our service to the lees. Because there's something lacking. We're not there. And it would do them good for us to be there and it would bring glory to God for us to be there. So we need to be a congregation of Epaphrodites. And we need to figure out who's going. And we need to get over there. And we need to give them a message. And we need to minister to them. We need to be with them brothers and sisters. We need to be with them fellow workers. We need to go over there to work and work in the gospel. And we need to go over there and perhaps be fellow soldiers fellow soldiers we need to be willing to go over and wage battle with them and you know of the battles that they wage they are very well documented so someone needs to go and someone needs to represent us to complete what is lacking in our service to them let's be praying about that Secondly, I said there's, there's two directions of service. The Philippians toward Paul, but there's also this service from Paul back towards the Philippians. Look in verse 26. Paul says about Epaphroditus, For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he was near to death. But God had mercy on him and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have had sorrow upon sorrow. Verse 28. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Man, this Epaphroditus guy, he is going in two directions. The Philippians are sending him to Paul and Paul's sending him right back. He's a hot potato. He's conduit. What a place for any one of us to be. What a place to be a messenger and minister that goes two directions in the gospel ministry of Jesus Christ. It's amazing. I want you to look at this picture of what we just read. Epaphroditus was longing for the Philippians, not because he was sick and he wanted to return home. That's not why he longed for Philippi. No, it was because the Philippians needed relief from the distress that they had when they heard that he was ill. He's putting the interest of others ahead of his own. He's not the least bit concerned about his illness. He cares that they care. And he doesn't want them stressed out. He needed relief from his distress over the Philippians' distress about him. That's church life. That's living as a family. That is brotherhood and sisterhood in Jesus Christ. Paul, look at Paul. Paul needed relief from his anxiety over the Philippian church's distress over Epaphroditus. <laughs> wow. Nobody's concerned about themselves. The Philippians are concerned about Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus is concerned about the Philippians. Paul's concerned about the Philippians. Everybody's pointing away from themselves, concerned about others. Paul said the same thing when he promised to send Timothy. He said, I want to send him so that I might also be encouraged because I know he will encourage you and that therefore will encourage me. 
So Paul would be relieved if Epaphroditus would leave him and go back to the Philippians, even though he was ministering to him. He'd be relieved if he would go home and minister to them because I've got this. And he's got it because he had a dose of Epaphroditus for a brief season. Hmm. Now, you might look at all of this and say, what a bunch of babies. Everybody's crying about everybody else, and it just, they look soft and wimpy. Good night, nurse. What's going on here? I've never seen people act like this with one another. Oh, not so. Not so. This is church. This is church. The world doesn't want the church to live like this. We've got a prisoner for the gospel named Paul who's being persecuted for his faith. He needs a fellow soldier to come and stand with him in the battle. And then we've got a sacrificial congregation that gave up one of their beloved to send him all the way to Rome with money and provision and ministry. These aren't wimps. These are not softies. These are people who knew what it meant to be tight and united and and centered on the gospel of Jesus Christ. And their example was Jesus Christ. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant and being found in human form. He humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. They knew that Jesus. And they said, we're going to imitate him and we're going to worship him by being like him to one another. Locally. Or all the way in Rome, wherever the Lord would take any one of our men. They were living out some key passages of Scripture. They were living out chapter 2, Philippians 2, verse 3 and 4. Do nothing out of rivalry rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others. They were doing this. All three parties, the Philippians, Epaphroditus, Paul, they're all living that out. They're one-upping one another and putting the other's interest ahead of their own. That is how the church of Jesus Christ is to live. Because that's how Christ lived. We're to have this mind amongst ourselves, which is ours in Christ Jesus. They're doing it. I look at Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Read a really good article on that verse this last week. I think it was Gospel Coalition, but don't quote me on that. Do a search on it. This verse is not about you coming to church so that you get some benefit. This church, this verse is others oriented. Listen to this. If, if you cut out some key phrases, you would say, let us consider one another. That's what the verse says. And so you need to consider one another when it comes to your church membership and your church participation. When you consider one another, you're going to come. If you don't consider one another, you're going to stay away from church. There's plenty of things you could go occupy yourself with. But if you're others oriented and you say, they need me there like Paul needed Epaphroditus there. 
then I'm going to go because I am to stir my brothers and sisters up to love and good works. And if I'm not there, I can't stir them. That's how Philippi and Epaphroditus and Timothy and Paul lived together. I'm not going to neglect Paul. I'm going to go to him. I'm going to stir him up to love and good work. And I'm going to remind him of this. And I'm going to remind him that there's a day coming. Stay courageous. Stay strong. The day is promised. It will come. And so we need to be others oriented. We need to be focused on one another instead of self. That's what we learn from the life of the Philippian church in the service of Epaphroditus. They fully embrace the idea of others and one another. It's a beautiful scene when you see a church of people pointing away from themselves. Not blaming. Not blaming. We do that naturally, don't we? But pointing away saying, not me, them. Meet that need. I'll sacrifice this. I'm going to go meet that need. That's when you have arrived as a church. Dear people, let's get there. We're on the road. This is not a disciplinary sermon. This is an encouraging sermon saying, come on, let's keep going. Let's step out towards one another in the name of Jesus Christ so that we can look like what God designed us to be. So Epaphroditus was a crucial link between Paul and the Philippians back home. And I want you to know this morning, to make this real personal now, there's not a person in this church right this minute that is not as important as Epaphroditus to this congregation. Every one of us is as important as Epaphroditus toward one another. There's visitors here this morning. I urge you to be plugged into a Bible-believing, Bible-living, Bible-proclaiming church. And I want you to know that your membership and your participation and your attendance in that church is highly critical. You're not going to be here with us next Sunday because you're going to be, I pray, at your home church. Plugged in and you've come here today to, to learn that you need to be Epaphroditus to the church that God's plugged you into. Churches all over the world are desperate for one another to be Epaphroditus in their congregations. This is for all of us. So, last question, why Epaphroditus? Who is he? What was his purpose? Now, why was Epaphroditus qualified for this role? He was highly regarded by Paul and the Philippians, and I think we find his qualification in verse 30. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in their service to him. He nearly died for the work of Jesus Christ. He's qualified. Why is Epaphroditus such a qualified man? He was totally surrendered to Jesus Christ, and so much so that he was imitating Christ. He had the mind of Christ. He emptied himself like Christ did. He took the form of a servant. He served to the point of near death. Not death. Jesus served to death. But he was willing to go there. But the Lord had mercy and stopped his illness and said, I'm going to revive him. 
because I still have things for him to do. So he considered the Philippians and Paul more important to himself, so much so that he was willing to take on illness, we don't know what it was, and draw near to death. I'd love to preach on the mercy of God. We don't have time this morning, but that is a beautiful picture of God healing him so that Paul would not have sorrow upon sorrow, which is another identifier of how tight these men were. So because of this, what should the Philippians do when he returns? Well, Paul tells them, receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. Honor men who serve Christ and the gospel to the point of neglect and near death. Receive Him in the Lord. Honor such men. We're not called to honor self-preserving men that dabble in Christian service when it's convenient or profitable. We're not to honor such. No, we're to honor the self-sacrificing ones that risk everything for the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Epaphroditus is such. That's why he's qualified to be the conduit of gospel ministry between Philippi and Rome and a church and an apostle. So, this morning I would end with this. There are some things that we need to consider as a church family. First of all, we've got these three examples before us. Number one, there was only one Paul. There was only 14 apostles. There are no more. And so an apostle was one who poured himself out as a drink offering, and Paul has done that so much so that we have 13 letters from him, written from prisons as he was being poured out. So there's not going to be another Paul. But there must be, even within Rocky Point Baptist Church, a few Timothys, a few pastors, a few elders, a few shepherds. God does call churches to have a few good men serving as Timothys in their midst. They need to be proven men with pastoral hearts for the people of the church and the gospel of Jesus Christ. You've got to have a few of those. We have a few of those. But then every church, every church must be full of Epaphroditus. Some of you are not supposed to be Epaphroditus in our church. All of you are. Visitors, you and all of your congregants back at your home church, you are all to be in the role of Epaphroditus to the one another's in your congregation. So let's, let's take inventory over the next few weeks. Let's thank the Lord for the Apostle Paul who gave us the instructions. And these instructions live today. I would urge you to thank the Lord for the Timothys that He has put in your midst and perhaps will be bringing. And then I ask you to petition the Lord plead with the Lord to show you how you can fulfill the role of Epaphroditus. And when we get all of that done, if we're under the instruction of the apostle, with the under-shepherding of the Timothys, and the engagement of the Epaphrodites, 
we will thrive for the glory of God and the world will be changed by our worship. For his namesake. Let's pray.